welcome to this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Today we feature an exclusive Vatican Radio interview with Salt and Light CEO, Father Thomas Rosica. And we rebroadcast two of our favorite featured artists from this season, Rosanna Reverso and Father Robert Gallia. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and welcome to a special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Here now is Rosanna Reverso with He's the One. He feels us, He's 
You're listening to Salt and Light Radio, heard on the Catholic Channel and on the internet at saltandlighttv.org slash radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. And that was Rosanna Reverso with He's the One from her album Let There Be Peace. Now, remember the priests, the Irish singing priests? Well, last time they were in Canada, they sang in Toronto and with them sang a beautiful soprano with a powerful voice. Turns out that her name is Rosanna Reverso, and she's Catholic. And she's not just in it to make money. She believes that it is her duty to use her talents for the greater good. She donates her time and musical abilities for various charitable events. Right now, for example, she's in the middle of her annual Peace Concert Tour. And this is her way of spreading the Christian faith and raising funds for local churches and charities. And Rosanna Reverso joins me now on the phone. Welcome to Salt and Light Radio, uh, Radio, Rosanna. Hi there, Pedro. Thank you for having me. You no, know, it's great to have you. Um, you've been performing since you were a little, little girl, seven years old or something, right? Yes. So what was it like in your home growing up? Was it like the Von Trapp family singers? <laughs> well, I'm actually the, the youngest of three girls. Okay. And... Um, uh, my, the the middle the middle sister the the middle child um, was already involved in music and she's about eight years older than I am. Oh really? So um, with that age with that age uh, difference, as a very very young girl, I was listening to her. She would play the piano, and so her that was her passion was was playing the piano. So I was always around around her. You know, I looked up to her, and my father is also someone who really loves the arts. Um, he would always be taking my sisters and I to to plays and to musicals and and even to the opera, which uh-huh. really wasn't our thing as kids. Right. <laughs> okay, so you were singing at church, so obviously you were going to mass every Sunday. Was was your faith life also like, at at home? Was it a rich faith life, or is that something that came later for you? No, I think it was. Uh, it, it did come very early on. I went to Catholic school as well, mm-hmm. and uh, my my parents were both very. Um, very devout, faith, uh, faithful Christians, faithful Catholics. My father, for as long as I can remember, has been uh, a reader at church and uh-huh. a Eucharistic minister um, and volunteers a lot of his time um, to various charities uh, and, and church activities, uh, right. the Knights of Columbus as well. Oh, yeah. And my mother is just someone who um, really inspired me to turn to prayer she saw you know she's not maybe as active in the church as my father is mm-hmm. but um you know she's the the person that is always every friday at a novena at a various church in in our city and um you know whenever whenever what both good times or bad times uh, her first i guess place that she yeah, turns she to is, is prayer and so prayer. i learned that both definitely from my parents right um and I think, if anything, I got that at an early age, and it was, like I said, at, uh, similar to to my steering away from classical music. It was the, the years of adolescence and, and going into university where I maybe, you know, steered off the path a bit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, although I, I always loved God and I always, you know, believed in Jesus, and, and I, I perhaps wasn't as um, de- devoted to, to prayer and to, you know, going to Sunday Mass regularly while I was, 
know, um, in university and uh-huh. focusing more on my studies. Right. Now, anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm your host, Pedro. We're speaking with our featured artist of the week, Rosanna Reverso. Uh, I just want to quickly ask you a little bit about your music because you don't just sing, you know, Schubert's Ave Maria. You, you also do contemporary stuff and you write your own music. So, and we've heard two of your songs already. Um, he's the one. He's Can the you one t- and Fly On. And I Fly believe. On. Can you tell us a little bit about those songs? Yes. Um, well, He's the One is a song that I, I wrote really as a, as a response to, to studying the Gospel of John. Um, mm. The past uh, few years have been a, an emotional and spiritual journey for me. Back in, in 2004, my mother was, was diagnosed with, with cancer, and it was pretty um, stressful. Mm-hmm. And it was a time in my life where I um, was confused about uh, the path that I you know, should take in terms of my career choices thus far. And, mm-hmm. and so um, that was really the point at which I felt I um, turned back really turned back to God, whereas prior to that, I was, um, you know, looking to myself and my own powers to make things happen or to get answered, my own reasoning, instead of just Mm -hmm. praying for God to to guide me. And so um, it was during that time that I really just felt he was calling me to just go back to the Word, go back to my my faith. And so I started with with the Gospel of John. And when I was reading, um, in particular, chapter 4, um, or 14, rather, when, when, when Jesus is speaking to the disciples um, at the time of the Last Supper. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, the words, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and, and the message of peace, and that how as Christians, um, you know, the way that we show the world that we are Christians is, is by maintaining a peaceful heart in the midst of our trials and tribulations, because Jesus, that's why Jesus came. Jesus overcame the world, so we could have that peace. And he right. doesn't offer the type of peace that the world offers. You know, when everything's going your way in the world, you can be peaceful. Well, anybody can feel like that when everybody's, you know, Absolutely. when everything's going their way. Yeah. Jesus really teaches us, I, I believe, especially in that passage, um, that, that he's the way to peace. And, and if we believe in him and that we, you know, um, follow follow him uh, and recognize that he made the sacrifice for us, you know, we will feel the peace. And mm-hmm. so that's where the inspiration by He's the One came from. Yeah, we're, and just, Rosanna, we're running out of time, but I, I don't want to leave you without talking about the tour, the, the, the peace tour. Um, th- this is an annual concert tour that you've been doing? I well, the intention is for it to be annual. Okay. This is the first okay, so this year is the that first we started annual. it. Okay. So um, we're hoping that we can make this an annual tour, correct? And, yeah. And where does the inspiration behind the, the the tour come from? I mean, you've talked already a little bit about you know being Christians and how that inspires us to to be peaceful. Is that sort of the same motivation? Yes, and I think, like I was saying to you uh, at the time of of when I was dealing with. Um, uh, the situation with my mom's illness um, and wanting to wanting uh, questioning my own purpose in life. That's when I really felt the call, the call from God to to use my musical talents um, to to give Him glory and and to and to make a difference. And and the way to do that was to help to help spread the Christian faith. Um, you know, in today's society, it seems that um, there's a lot of different movements, like the I Am movement, where you could, you know there is no God and you, God is yourself or, or right. you believe that you can make all the difference without without God and I just wanted to to be um, someone to help um, help spread the Christian faith because that's where I in, in, in my life has fa- have found the most happiness and peace is, is in Jesus and in, in my faith 
Right. So, so that was really the call behind it. And I think at the same time, we've made all of these concerts charitable. Uh-huh. So I think if we can spread the Christian faith, but at the same time also raise funds for the needy and for the, for the disadvantaged, then we're also being an example of what God calls us to be, which is loving our neighbors. And so um, I think that really was you know, the, the inspir- inspiration yes. and the passion behind it. So there's one more concert date. That's next Saturday, October 8th, correct? It's Sorry, Friday. next Friday. It's Duh. Friday, October the 8th. <laughs> Friday, thank you. Friday, October 8th in Toronto at St. Paul's Basilica. Correct. At what time? And it's at 8 p.m., so the doors will open at 7, but the show will start at 8. Okay. And we also have some surprise guest performers uh, at that show that have not been part of the previous um, Peace Concerts. So um, it'd be great to have people come out and, and take a look. Excellent. No, and I, I will be there. Salt and Light Television will be there, and I highly recommend it. I mean, you've already heard some of Rosanna's music. So if you like what you're hearing and you are in the Toronto area, come out uh, at 8 p.m., come before 8 p.m. on October 8th, Friday, to St. Paul's Basilica to listen to this concert and support the charities that Rosanna is supporting and, and, and enjoy an evening of, of faith-filled music. Rosanna, that's all the time we have. No problem. Um, Thank you very much for having me. Not a problem, and, uh, and I'll see you next Friday. Great. Thanks, Pedro. Okay. Rosanna Reverso, our featured artist of the week. You can get more information about Rosanna and how to purchase her CD, actually, at her website, rosannareverso.com. That's Rosanna with two N's, R-O-S-A-N-N-A, Reverso, R-I-V-E-R-S-O.com. But we'll also put that link on our website as well, saltandlighttv.org slash radio. Here now is Rosanna with her song, Waiting. Traces Cold Lonely places Shadows That reach beyond The drifting Snow Melt in the sorrow For every tomorrow Thunder where 
kids coming of age? Wondering how you're going to talk to them about the uncomfortable and awkward topic of teen relationships? A new book, How Far Can We Go? by authors Leah Perot and Brett Salkeld is a clear, concise, and fun guide on sex and dating for Catholics. This short book is a must-read for anyone who has to deal with these questions from young people. Look for it at your local bookstores or order it online at Amazon.com. In 2009, Father Thomas Rosica, CEO of Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation, was appointed by Pope Benedict XVI a consultor for the Pontifical Council for Social Communications. Recently, while Father Rosica was in Rome for the plenary of the Council for Social Communications, Vatican Radio invited him for a special interview. How should we use the new media's language and communication methods for evangelizing in today's fast-paced digital society? This was the challenge being discussed at the Plenary Assembly of the Pontifical Council for Social Communications, held earlier this month. Among the participants at the meeting in the Vatican was Father Thomas Rosica, head of the Salt and Light Catholic Media Foundation and Television Network. He says whilst the gospel message itself is eternal, its packaging needs to be constantly revamped. I don't think it's the message that has to be changed. You know, I still go back to John the Twenty-Third's words when he opened the Second Vatican Council. The deposit of the faith remains. It's the packaging that has to be redone or rethought. And I think that's the constant challenge for us, especially those who work with young adults and young people. We look at the content of the church, the content of the church teaching, the deposit of faith. We recognize its perennial beauty, and we find constant new ways to retell that story. And so one of my challenges I have before me, I'm in charge of the Catholic Television Network in Canada, Salt and Light Television, which is fundamentally a, a biblical-based television network for an entire country. And we're telling the old story in new ways every day and making that story appealing, making that story understandable, making that story palatable, 
And when we do that, through all kinds of modern media and technology, the message is transmitted, the message is passed on, and you make it exciting and let people accept it, especially the younger generations. So that's the constant challenge before us. It's not just reiterating or retelling the same old story with the same words, but being creative. And that's what Jesus was. He was extremely creative in telling the story. He never spoke above people's heads. He spoke to them where they were. Now, you said about telling it a and putting the new packaging on it. Can you give us briefly an example of how you've done that, how you've maybe used some of the new technology but are telling the story in a way, as you say, that is more palatable? Sure. We just had a recent thing in Canada, which I'm very proud of, and I know the bishops of Canada are extremely proud of. The Bishops' Conference decided two years ago to publish or to issue a pastoral letter on chastity for young adults. Now, at first glance, you say, who's going to read it? How are you ever going to get this message across? It isn't just a matter of you know, repeating stories and saying the big no to all of these things, but it's to follow Pope Benedict's line and that Christianity and the Catholic Church is a big yes. And so we worked with the Bishop's Conference in the formulation of a beautiful pastoral letter, concluding it with the examples of some young saints and their own struggles with chastity and how they were chaste men and women. And then we not only published the letter in print, but we did it through television and through YouTube and having young people talk about the letter and recite the letter and programs about it. And it spread like wildfire. And there's a lot more young people in Canada, and I'm told far beyond, that are speaking about chastity than would have spoken about chastity had they not had this new way where it's done on Twitter, it's done on YouTube, it's done through all kinds of different new techniques and new technology today. And I think the more and more we can incorporate multi-platform to get the message across, the more success we will have in transmitting the ancient story in new ways. Now, one of the questions that Pope Benedict mentioned in his speech to the Council was that as Catholic communicators, we need to ask this question. What challenges does the digital mindset pose to the faith and theology? And what are the effects of people's almost constant contact with computers and mobile devices? Are we becoming too dependent on them? Those are very good questions. You know, there's extraordinary horizons with all of this. And there's tremendous limitations. A couple points I just respond to that we have to be very careful in the church, and not only in the church, in other places, that we don't spin ourselves into irrelevance. You know, it's not the machine that's going to save the person, it's people to people. And we must never substitute human contact with machines, with iPhones, with iPads, with Twitter, with email, with texting. Nothing replaces the wonderful experience of being with another human being. And one of the fears I have, and it's been confirmed several times, is while we encourage young people to be on Facebook and to be on all of those other wonderful apparatus, we have to be careful that they don't forget that we have to deal with one another as persons. You can say things to persons in the flesh that you can't say on email. At the same time, you have to be careful that email and Twitter and texting is not the same as being, being with a person. The second thing I think is very important, when we send things on those electronic means, it's sometimes done without thought and without reflection. The whole pause, the necessary critical reflection is often absent. And so we have to be aware of the great success of linking us together and forming this great global village, but at the same time, we have to be aware of the limitations. 
I always go back to the beginning story. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have beheld His glory. The Word did not become an email, an SMS, a text message, or some kind of a distant phenomenon being related to us through Twitter. The Word pitched His tent among us in the form of a baby. It was a human being. And I think the more incarnational our our communication will be, these new forms of communication, the more effective it will be. Coming to the question of metaphors, Jesus used the parables and obviously there were the symbols like the sheep and the fields, but what would you, if you were pitching a program for young people, what metaphors would you be using? I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, in my first life, in my real life, I'm a scripture teacher, so I study the sacred scriptures and have always marveled at Jesus' parables where he incorporated everything around him into his teaching. He lived in a very agrarian culture. He worked along the sea, so you have fishing boats and nets and fish and sheep and fields and corn and everything else. And that really shows that he was attentive to his surroundings and the surroundings of the people. Nowadays, when we have to communicate the message of the church and teach and preach, we have to take into account where those people are at. So the homily that I give in a downtown big city surrounded by apartment buildings and skyscrapers and and whatever is not the same as the homily I will give in the provinces or the prairies of Canada where we're surrounded by great grain fields and whatever. So the first thing is we take into account where people are at and what makes up their culture. Secondly, what is the vocabulary that the people are using? For me to come in and to show off because I know biblical vocabulary and fancy theological languages means nothing unless I respect the people, I respect their vocabulary, their language, what is their lexicon, what are the images that people are familiar with, and then to take the gospel message and do that double task of interpretation. There's the whole science or the art of hermeneutics, which is very important in in dealing with the teaching of the faith. How do we get across the symbols, the signs, the, the meaning in very simple terms. That was the other great thing of Jesus' teaching. He taught very complex things in such simple way. And that's also one of the great hallmarks of Pope Benedict XVI. His homilies, his text, the light of the world, the book that's just about to come out on Jesus of Nazareth, profoundly moving, deep texts, because he's able to take very difficult concepts at times and make them understandable. And that's the mark of a great teacher. Do you think also, I mean, using real-life examples is one of the most effective ways of, shall we say, reaching the hearts and minds of people? Oh, absolutely. To talk about what's happening in the world today, to talk about things that are affecting people's lives, and to bring in those examples, always to illustrate the central point of the scriptures and not the other way around. I think sometimes that's where we get into trouble, that we want to talk about our personal feelings, our personal issues, or to start off with extraneous things. We always have to have in mind, what is the message I'm talking about? What's this parable dealing with? What did Jesus mean in this parable in his time? And what are the relevant links to that parable in our time? And to make that bridge, the hermeneutical gap, to cross that gap, to bridge it, and then to transmit the message. Now, coming back to the language used by the church, I mean, there have been moves to consider simplifying some of the language, as I said, you know, using words like magisterium or something. A lot of people are going to not know what it means. Their eyes are going to glaze over in boredom if, if a speech is going to be littered with a lot of words like that. You're correct. We do have a problem with vocabulary. 
but it's a responsibility of the teacher and the preacher and the priest or the deacon or the pastoral minister or layperson or ordained to always be aware of what the original word meant and then to find ways of communicating that in new ways without doing destruction or without disrespecting what the original word means. I think a lot of this is common sense and the, the passion of the preacher to want to get across the message. I will use any means possible to get across this message. And sometimes that means not using all of the big words, but knowing what those big words mean ourselves. Because if we don't know ourselves, then we're not communicating the right thing. And there, that's really the responsibility we have nowadays. Church language, church documents, uh, all of our noble efforts at times could be vitiated or simply disregarded because they're nobody could understand them. And that's been one of our challenges for a long time, and we're trying to overcome that. And when it comes to the digital culture, what do you think are the, should we say, the most serious challenges that it poses to our ability to speak and listen to the language? Something that speaks about the transcendence. Rapidity, first of all. You know, there has to be this, this urge, an immediate response, which removes critical reflection. Number two, the digital culture separates us. It doesn't necessarily unite us. And we must always be conscious of the dignity of the human person and what it means to be with another human being. Uh, sometimes the digital culture works against that. And the third thing with the digital culture, we must not spin ourselves into irrelevance. I have to buy the latest model of the iPad, the latest model of the iPhone, the newest Blackberry, the newest thing. And it becomes a big race that what I just bought yesterday is already obsolete. I think that's a great danger. And the fourth thing I think we have to be aware of with the whole digital culture is, especially in terms of social networking, I mean, the movie was this big hit. I watched the movie Social Networking and came away from it shaking, shocked, frustrated, frightened. I said, this is what it's doing? Is this a good thing? I'm glad it didn't win the Academy Awards, I can assure you. We have to be aware that these kind of phenomenon with social networking, what is it doing to us is the question. I mean, it's one thing that I'm linked together with all my high school classmates or friends from 30 years ago and whatever, but what is it really doing to us? And what is it saying about the world? And what is it saying about our relationships with people? Is it really communicating and linking people together? When it's used at its best, it can do that. But it, when it's used at its worst, it can bring about just the opposite of what we would like it to do. I was speaking to Father Thomas Rosica, Chief Executive Officer of the Salt and Light Television Network in Canada. Here in Canada, Conservative Member of Parliament for Kitchener Centre Stephen Woodworth has proposed a motion that calls for the forming of a special committee to determine when a human being is formed and, based on that conclusion, what the consequences would be of recognizing a fetus as a human being before it leaves the womb. Critics have called this a roundabout way to reopen the abortion debate. Now, I've said this before, no matter how many people say that this debate is closed in Canada, it's really not. And my kudos to Mr. Woodworth for bringing this up. I mean, it's a good question. This is where the whole abortion argument hinges upon. When does a human being become a person? Personhood is a legal term. I mean, have you ever met a human being who is not a person? 
So it's a legal term that has to do with a person's rights and responsibilities. But really, it's a philosophical question. Not when does life begin, because biologically we know that it begins at conception, but when does personhood begin? Because if you are not a person, then you may not have the same rights as other humans who may be persons, namely the right to life. But this brings up a larger issue. What defines personhood? Does it have to do with our cognitive abilities? What does that say about someone with severe developmental disabilities? What about someone who's in a coma? Can you be a person with full rights one day and the next day be hit by a car and be in a coma and then you're not a person? But a week later, you wake up from the coma and then you're a person again? This is the kind of argument that would not go far in any serious court. And while I doubt that Mr. Woodworth's motion will go anywhere, it's very hard for these backbencher motions to get approved in Parliament, good for him for asking the question, and even if the motion fails, at least Parliament would have discussed it for at least two hours. Who says that the abortion debate is closed? I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this is Salt and Light Radio. Pounding hearts, wounded hearts, burning hearts, what better ways to describe what lies at the heart of this marvelous story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus on Easter night? A story of the heart. You see, to believe in Jesus, to have faith in Jesus, is to give our heart to Jesus. Faith means what we give our heart to. And Luke's story, found in chapter 24, verses 13 to 35, is a very deep reflection on the Easter faith of the early church and of our church. When we meet the disciples on the road to Emmaus on that first Easter night, the memory of the resurrection has seemed to fade away. It's a tale for these two, who seem to be walking back into the middle of nowhere, into a little village of Emmaus, lost in the hill country. They had experienced trauma over the previous days in Jerusalem. And perhaps their desire to return to what was commonplace and familiar was an external reflection of the deep angst and fear and despair and sadness that they had within each of them. Cleopas and this unnamed companion were trying to get away from the sadness that had torn them apart in Jerusalem. Intimately intertwined with their skepticism and sadness is their hope and their deep desire that God would become alive once again in their world. Their hopes had been decimated and shattered in the city of Jerusalem over the previous three days. Without being aware of what they were fully saying to the stranger who was journeying with them, they began to tell the story. They professed the creed without even knowing it. They spoke about Jesus, a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God and before everyone, and how he was handed over by the chief priests and elders to be crucified. They even went as far as saying he was laid in a tomb and some women from our group have gone to see this, but they did not find the Lord. What a remarkable story they were telling. 
but they were unable to make the link between what they knew about Jesus here in their head and the reality of Jesus here in their heart. He was walking in their midst into their world of sadness and suffering, of doubt. They were so overcome with their own grief, we are told by the evangelists, they were unable to recognize him. Their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. It's the divine passive that was at work here. It was important for them to be taken through the ruins and the sadness and destruction so they could appreciate how solid was the foundation. After they finished talking about what had happened in their own experience, Jesus began to speak to them. Oh, you slow of heart to believe all that has taken place. Did you not know how necessary it was for the Messiah to suffer and die so as to enter into his glory? And Luke tells us remarkably that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he told them everything that pertained to him. And then, when they arrived at the village to which they were going, Jesus pretended to be going on further. But they pleaded with him, Stay with us, for it is evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. And then in rapid fire sequence, we are told that he sat at the table. He took bread, blessed it, broke it, and gave it to them. And suddenly, their eyes were opened, the divine passive once again. And they recognized him. They knew who it was and he disappeared, he vanished from their sight. And rather than cry out in angst and difficulty and sadness and despair, where are you? Why did you leave us? They turned to one another and they spoke those powerful words, were not our hearts gradually catching fire within us as he spoke to us on the road and in the breaking of the bread. And suddenly they got up and fled. One could just imagine that scene, the door wide open, the tablecloth pulled, the candlestick knocked over, and they fled back to Jerusalem. And we would think that they would be the ones to announce to Peter and the others that the Lord is risen. But no, the center of the apostolic circle in Jerusalem was around Peter. And Peter announces to them, first and foremost, that the Lord is risen. And only then are their tongues freed to speak what they experienced of how they met Jesus on the road and they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. And so what does this story mean for us? What is the purpose of that lengthy catechetical lesson on the road and that very brief sacramental moment at the table? The stranger on the road to Emmaus, none other than Jesus the Lord, takes the skepticism and curiosity of the disciples and weaves it into the fabric of the scriptures. Jesus challenges them to reinterpret the events of the past days of their lives. The great days of the suffering, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And to look at them through the lenses of the scriptures. The lenses of salvation history. That what took place in Jerusalem was a necessity so that life could burst forth from the tomb. The story of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus places some very important questions before each of us and before the church community. Are our own hearts gradually on fire within us when the scriptures are read and proclaimed in our midst? How do we recognize him in the breaking of the bread? How do we share that great story with others? How do we become bearers of the story? Is it not often the case that we are so wrapped up in our own sadness that we forget to recognize Jesus the Lord? Let me conclude with this prayer, so fitting, that sums up the story of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Stay with us, Lord, for it is evening and the day is far spent. 
Just as the two disciples prayed on that evening in Emmaus, help me to be focused and centered on you, my Lord, my hope, and my life. When doubt and despair fill my life, stay with me, Lord. When sadness and emptiness tempt me to believe that you are absent, fill me with your consoling presence. When selfishness prevents me from reaching out to others, teach me the art of selflessness. Stay with me, Lord, and help me to remember that the royal road of the cross is the only way for me and for the church. Stay with me, Lord, along the journey, and help me to discover you each day in the breaking and sharing of the word and the bread. Stay with us, Lord, as we journey to the new Jerusalem, where you are light and peace and endless home. Amen. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Robert Galea, from his new album, Reach Out, the song Fragile Heart. You hold me now For too long I thought I could go along Scattered dream all my hopes trampled on the floor Too many times before I'm hoping now You would write your name upon my paper heart Words of love To hold to when it feels we're worlds apart my life around Give me a brand new start Set my feet on solid ground You wrote your name on my fragile heart Call me your own, set me apart You took my shame and now I'm free My life you changed Same. 
brand new start. Set my feet on solid ground. You wrote your name on my fragile heart. Call me your own, set me apart. You took my shame, man. Now I'm free. My life, you changed, loving me. And I knew when you signed your name, I'd never be the same. That was our featured artist of the week, Father Robert Gallia, with Fragile Heart. If you were listening to Salt and Light Radio in May 2009, you would have heard a special concert that we aired featuring a young Maltese seminarian who was studying in Australia. At the time, Robert Gallia was best known for his participation during World Youth Day 2008. Well, Robert Gallia is now Father Robert Gallia, he was ordained to the priesthood last May, and he has a new album, Reach Out. He was in Malta last week, where we reached him on the phone. Father Robert, welcome to Salt and Light Radio. Thank you very much. So, um, d- I guess I should start by congratulating you. We haven't spoken since your, your ordination. So, you've recently, I guess it's not that recent anymore, but you've recently been ordained to the priesthood. Yes, I am still getting used to it. And it's, it's been a great few weeks, but... Um, yeah, I, I always say that the best is yet to come as I begin my ministry right. um, in Australia. So you're in a parish in Australia? Yes, so I'm, I'm working in a parish um, called Shepparton, which is um, about two hours away from Melbourne. Okay. Um, as a, as a, a curate at the moment. Okay, what does that mean? Sorry, is that like an associate <laughs> the pastor? curate is a, a vice parish priest, a okay. vice pastor. Yeah, here in Canton, um, we call them associate pastors, yeah. Associate pastor, that's it. Okay. That, well, that's okay. You don't want to be a full pastor yet. Make sure somebody, <laughs> Not yet, no, somebody else makes the all, the b- all the big decisions and you just do all the fun stuff. Exactly, exactly. Without um, the responsibility. Right. Now, uh, <laughs> but you're in Australia, but you're Maltese. So how does that work? Were you ordained yeah, for um, the... You're I started my seminary formation when I was in, um, in Malta. I did my first four years in Malta. Then I went to work in Australia to gain some experience. And I just fell in love with the place. I fell in love with the people. Um, and I just knew somehow that this was my place. Um, I work in a diocese which, is, which has um, about 45 parishes and 20 active priests. So um, even in my parish, we look after three mass centers. So oh, really? It's, it's quite busy. Yeah, it's been, it keeps us quite busy. So is, uh, 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 here in Canada, that, those, that, that diocese would be probably a mission diocese. Are they called mission diocese in that they don't have, you don't have enough priests or enough wealth? No, I, thi- I think it would hurt a lot of people's pride to say that. But in, in actual uh. fact, yes, it is a mission diocese. Yeah. Um, vocations are, are lacking very much. Okay, so you're, you're kept busy. Now, how does, how does your music fit into your new ministry as a priest? Yeah, um, I think the role of a priest um, is to do proclaim the gospel to te- to tell the gospel to the to the people of God and um I one of my main roles is to speak to the hearts of the people and to speak the um to proclaim the gospel in a way that people can understand and I don't see any better means than than using music to to proclaim the gospel because music is a language of the heart it transcends the mind goes beyond the mind and goes straight into the heart do you find and, that and um, I use music um to emphasize what I'm already saying and doing through my ministry. I always say I'm first a Christian, 
then I am a priest, and then only then right. am I a musician. Right. Do you, do you find that because you're young and because you're a musician, you end up doing a lot of stuff for youth? I do, yes. Um, I'm, I tend to work a lot in schools and in, in a high-security um, prison, juvenile prison oh, really? in Australia. Really? And I use music in, in that way. For example, I'd go into a, a prison um, group and I'd start speaking and people wouldn't pay attention. And then I'd go to um, another, I'd pick up the guitar, just start singing, and all of a sudden they're all ready to pay attention. Right. Right, it's just and amazing because it's it's a language that they can understand. So you're talking about the prison or the school or both? Yeah, I think it's both. Sometimes I wonder which is worse, the prison or the school. Right, right. <laughs> so you find it's that um, it it doesn't it just works. Um, sometimes people are, uh, within a prison there is some sense of of discipline. Within a school, somehow people are rebellious and continue to be rebellious. Right. But it's um, I I love working in schools. I love the rebellious at the back of the class, for example, because they're the first to listen once the music is played. Right, right. Now, just a note for anyone joining the program at this time, you're listening to Salt and Light Radio. I'm Pedro Guevara Man. We're speaking to a featured artist of this week, Father Robert Galea. Um, you, you're just telling us about, uh, you know, that, that kid in the back row, and, and I think that you, you probably like those kids because you can relate to them in a way, right? Yes, I can. I can. I spent a lot of years um, sort of in, in rebellion at a time where I didn't want to listen to the gospel. I didn't want to listen, didn't want to have anything to do with church, church or, or, or with God yeah. for that matter. Yeah. And um, it wasn't until this, this man um, in the middle of a prayer meeting started to talk about God in a way I had never understood. It was just, um, and from that moment I decided to turn my life around. He right. spoke about God as, as a friend. And this is the, the heart of my messages, the heart of of the gospel, actually, that we don't need to be afraid of God. God is not there to take things away from us, but to bless us, to to help us enjoy life and live life to the full. Right, and you'd say, so so you'd you'd say that even through your music, that's the main message. Yes, I think, especially um, my latest album, which I've just released, speaks about that. It's called Reach Out, and it's yep. it's about um, reaching out to God, who's already reaching out to us. That God is not as far away as we think. You know, I've spent so much time with suffering teenagers, and so often they end, in, end up in a place of desperation because they don't, think, they don't have anyone to reach out to. They don't even, in such an individualistic nation as Australia, they have no one to, to, to cry out to when they're in need. Mm-hmm. And so from the age of 13 to 35, there's a, there's a, there's a sort of a, an increase in the rate of suicide, for example, because there's a... They, f- they are trying to reach out to something, but uh, nothing seems to, to be working for them. Right, So this right. album is about sort of reach, uh, the main song says, reach out to the hand that is longing to save you, that's already reached out towards you. Right, yeah, that's a, that's a great image, that the God that loves us so much, he's already there, we just need to uh, accept it. Um, were you always, uh, I guess you were always involved in music, even though you were going through a period of rebellion, as you, but you were always involved in music growing up? No, I, I picked up the guitar and started playing music when I was about 17 oh, years really? old. Oh, really? I, I didn't play music before. I'm a self-taught musician in a sense. Um, yeah. But um, music always, I always loved listening to music, let's put it that way. And I was okay. always the first to learn the lyrics of a song before all of my friends. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, somehow music uh, calmed me down and... Um, there were times I used to be so angry, I used to slam the door of my room and put on my Metallica CD full blast and just right. spend hours just listening and 
yeah, allowing myself to get lost in the music, sometimes in the wrong kind of music. But yeah, so you were already you were already back w- in the faith when you picked up the guitar. Yes, I was. I was. It was I had just started sort of my conversion, um, and walking with God, and I picked up the guitar and I started to to copy. Basically, I started to copy musicians I used to see on on MTV and other television music television stations. Right. And um, and then before I knew it, I started to listen to Christian music and I started playing that and uh-huh. eventually started praying and um, playing my music in church Your and in stuff. prayer meeting. Yeah, nice. Now, um do you see a connection then be- between the the music and your your conversion? Um I do. Yes, because somehow people can express um sometimes prayer we need to open our hearts to God, and sometimes yeah. we we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do, and I believe that music helped me in that. It helped me say things that that words couldn't say. It helped me um, cry when I couldn't cry. It helped me um, sort of try try and reach out to God when I couldn't reach out. Right, 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 right. Um, and 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 uh, this is reach out is your fourth album. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. It is if it's you include the Divine Mercy Chaplet. Yes, thing. yes. Which, by the way, it's I, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I actually managed to tell you or got to tell you, but I, I did. I love it. It's very good. It's very well done. Yeah, so here's a plug for Robert Galea's Divine Mercy Chaplet. Um, actually, a plug for all his music. Uh, he's got four albums. Uh, the latest one, Reach Out. If you were in Malta the uh, last week, you, you, you would have had the chance to go to uh, one of his concerts. Uh, and if you're in Australia, certainly uh, look him up. Um, yeah. Hopefully we can have you back in Canada one day soon, Rob. Yes, I hope to com- be coming later this year. Um, oh, later in um, 2011, that is. Oh, excellent, excellent. And and maybe hopes for Madrid? Yes. World Youth Day? I'll be there in Madrid too, on a, on a hopefully a small stage, because last time I think I was a bit overwhelmed a by a the big a stage. A little too big. Anyway, Robert, Father Robert, um, nice to chat with you. That's all the time we have, but it's been great to connect with you and to uh, to allow our listeners to learn a little bit more from you. And uh, we're going to actually, we're going to play Reach Out so that people can get to hear that one song, the title track of the new album. So thank you very much. Thanks and God bless. That was Father Robert Gallia. I spoke to him last week while he was in Malta for a new album release concert. You can find out more about him and his music at his website, thatsworship.com. Here now is Father Robert Gallia from his new album, Reach Out, with the song, Stronger. I know what goes up must come down, but your love defies gravity. I know... What goes around comes around, but your grace lifts me to higher ground. To higher ground, yeah. They say, where there's a will, there is a way, and you say you Make me stronger when I fall 
Listening to Stronger by Father Robert Gallia. That brings us to the end of this special edition of Salt and Light Radio. Remember to check out our website, saltandlighttv.org slash radio, and our blog, saltandlighttv.org slash blog. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thank you for listening. I'm Pedro Guevara Man, and this has been a special edition of Salt and Light Radio.